The rise of polygon-based games enchanted gamers with a third dimension. Traditional 2D platformers virtually vanished. Are the small handful that made it worthy of our time? Welcome to Sega Saturn Shiro, the only podcast that squashes polygons into creamy 2D goo. Welcome, welcome to Sega Saturn Shiro. Your hosts today are, well, there's actually quite a few of us, so I'm going to go through the introductions. We're going to start with the two originals, the OGs, the genuine articles, often imitated but never duplicated. We've got Trainoco Pat and Saturn Dave. So good day, gentlemen. How's it going? Day, I'm ready for some. I'm ready for some good, hot, steamy Gex. I'm an OG, an OG, an original OG. Tinkering with consoles and restoring arcade cabinets, he even programs in ancient computing languages, our very own beast from the east, Ben. Hello, Ben. Hello, everybody. And finally, there's me, recently found in the Great Canadian North and subsequently thawed. I I basically sweat maple syrup. I am your Canadian connection, Peter. So... Welcome, everybody. Let's uh, just do a very quick, uh, you know, roundtable to see how everyone's been doing and what they've been up to. And why don't we kick it off with uh, with you, Pat? Just doing a lot of Gex. <laughs> Have you been having a lot of Gex lately? Yeah, I'm, I'm all about that Gex. Like, literally, I wake up and Gex, go to, uh, you know, eat, have some breakfast and Gex, have some lunch, have some nice Gex, you know, and go to bed and have some nice... Steamy hot gex, you know, there's just gex all the time. I just can't get enough of it. I am I'm very happy for you. It's you know, it's definitely life is better with uh gex. with a lot of gex, you know. Do you usually play gex uh, by yourself? Uh no, usually I I mean usually sometimes it depends on the mood. Sometimes, you know, it's <laughs> it's good playing a lot, sometimes it's good playing it with uh doing a uh doing a trade off every time you die. So it's always, it's always a, a, a two, two for a thing, you know, and sometimes you can do it with more than three, two people. And that's kind of fun. Have a, have get a multi-tap and play that. Oh my gosh. That's wonderful. Thank you very much for sharing. No, but no, jokes, jokes aside, I've been doing pretty good. Uh, got kind of sick. So my voice is kind of messed up, but, uh, I've been pretty good. Just playing a lot of Warhammer. Like I talk about on the podcast, I'm actually going to do that right after this. So, I'm excited. It's got my Tau army put together, so I've literally been priming, and I have all these little weapons I've been putting together. So it's been, it's been a lot, a lot of putting together these little weapons and priming them, and you know, but dollies. It's all good. The dollies, yeah. Sorry, I meant dollies. My bad. Hey, it's that's all good, man. That's fantastic. You know, just uh, good dollies and gex. That's all my life's been about. Um, what about you, Dave? Have you been uh, having a lot of gex? I've been having some gex. I have some gex, but uh, <laughs> Peter, that, that intro was classic cheese. It was. <laughs> it's pure cheese. It's pure oh, man, cheese. You laid it on thick. But uh, yeah, no, I've been keeping busy with the podcast. Uh, you, you and me, and then Pat and I did a Dreamcast. Yeah, it was really fun. Uh, keeping busy with the Shiro Show, of course, every week, Fridays. Folks can join us and check us out. Uh, been working on uh, you know articles for the website. Just keeping busy being sick, you know, and Gex. But yeah, um, you could probably hear from my voice that, yeah, just like Pat, we've both been kind of down in the dumps. But also been playing a lot of Switch, Sonic Frontiers, 
excellent game. Having fun with it. Like I told you, I think you should try it out, Peter. You might like it. Um, Sonic Team. Uh, but yeah, other than that, that's me. Excellent. All right, Ben, over to you. Oh, man, I've been having so much gex. It's been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we've been uh, playing a lot of gex. Uh, we um, also just um, wrapped up uh, Dying Light 2 was something we've been playing as well. I uh, got through that game. It's uh, really a lot of fun. Was playing it on the Xbox, uh, the Series X. Um, been doing some Switch games. Um, some of the big news on my end is uh, we're opening up a comic book shop and cosplay shop in Chattanooga. And um, that we're hoping to have it open within the next two months. Uh, it's going to be called Myth and Fable Comics and Cosplay. And uh, a lot of people have asked, uh, are you going to have video games and all this good stuff? And I, I have told them yes, eventually. But uh, we're uh, basically starting with more or less the comic books, the figurines, the uh, costume accessories, costuming pieces. We're even doing costume classes. Um, and uh, then once we get our uh, our base going, then we'll start to expand into video games, which uh, is something that I've always wanted to do. But uh, but that's the big, exciting thing going on on our end. And we are all thrilled over here. Cool. That is very cool. I Congrats you know that just that. it's, you know, extra motivation for me to get down there and uh, and uh, visit you down in Chattanooga and uh, check out your your store once it gets going like that is so awesome. It's got to be a lot of work, though. Oh, it really is. Like um, some of the stuff that we've had to do in the process of getting it going is just stuff you just never think of. Uh, the Even the paperwork drills, for example, or uh, the uh, types of licenses and stuff that you have to purchase, uh, things like that. It, it's it's wild, but at the same time, it's really, it's a lot of fun because it's not stressful in the circumstances that you're doing this for like a fun business. So it makes it a lot more bearable to do those kind of things. Nice, nice. Okay, and then just finally some updates from me. Um, I think I finally stopped playing Christmas Nights for a little while. We're well past the Christmas season. I'm sure it'll pick up in a few months again. I've uh, been playing some Castlevania Symphony of the Night. I just seem to replay that game at least once a year. I love it so much. Um, and you know what? I, I have to admit, I the, the only you know current-gen platform that I own is the Switch, and I don't really give it that much time, but there was a demo of a game I downloaded uh, just the other day called Sea of Stars, and boy, do I love it. So, you know, that's definitely one that I'm going to eventually pick up and play. But uh, yeah, that's that's more or less what uh, I've been up to. So welcome, everybody, to the cast. So the topic today, we're going to be talking about 2D platform games on the Saturn. So if you think about it, the 16-bit era was sort of like the golden age of the 2D platformer. Um, you know, you had Mario, Sonic, Bonk, even, you know, ones like Bubsy and that little red dot thing from the 7-Up logo spot, spot, right? Like they were they're just all over the place. Um and, and, you know, I think part of the reason that they were so, uh, you know, numerous back then is like the hardware, the 16-bit hardware was kind of limited. Like you couldn't really do 3D properly. So, you, you know, you didn't really have, you know, uh, first-person shooters or proper 3D racing games. I mean, you know, th there were a few games that sort of did pseudo effects, but none of that stuff would really come to to fruition until the 32-bit generation. So, so during the 16-bit, there was a lot of platformers. 
And then when we moved over to the 32-bit generation, it's almost as if at the very beginning, there seemed to be quite a lot of them, but they sure petered out as time went on, right? And gamers, to be honest, at the time, like they wanted the new 3D stuff. They wanted the 3D fighting games and the racing games and, you know, the first-person shooters and everything. And so- they really, really wanted Bubsy 3D. Yeah, there was Bubsy 3. You know what? Yeah, we can't forget that. And then, well, but that's the thing. Like a lot of platformers went 3D as well, right? Like, I mean, from early efforts like Captain Quasar to, the, to you know, eventually there was Mario 64 and Croc and Tomb Raider and whatever. And so really the 2D stuff took took a backseat. However, like now that all of that's retro, if you really think about it, those are some of the games that that get the most love these days. Um, and, and the, you know, the 2D platformers. So we're going to talk about some of them. Um, and, you know, just diving right in, we're going to talk about the first one on the list, which is Astal. So Astal was programmed internally at Sega, and it was released in Japan in uh, the summer of 1995, and then eventually in September here in North America. And this game actually did not have a um, PAL release. So the game is really well known for its watercolor visuals. It took advantage of the Saturn hardware for its excellent color, some of the scaling and rotation effects that you see in the game that weren't really common during the 16-bit era. Um, You know, it's got some tried and true 2D platforming uh, gameplay. The controls are, are good. Some people maybe find them a little bit awkward. And, you know, just to wrap up the intro, the reviews uh, for the game at the time ranged from mediocre to positive, with the common theme being that, you know, it's a good game, but it didn't really do much to sell the Saturn as like this, you know, next generation platform. So I just want to get some some conversation going. What did you guys think of a stall? And, and did you end up playing it, you know, near its original release time? And I want to maybe start with uh, with you, Dave. Uh, I'm going to disappoint you because I actually did not play a stall back when it was released. Like that was not, Mm. I don't know why, you know, I mean, like basically at that time I was just starting to work a job when I, when I got a Saturn, I think I, I still wasn't working a job and I was like scrounging money, you know, Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. odd jobs and stuff like that. And uh, going in on it with my brother, you know, so like money was really tight. Also, just our exposure to the Saturn library was very narrow. We're talking about the loudest things made it made an impact, like Panzer Dragoon's Vi and stuff like that were were things that hit our radar. But a stall was not one of those games that I ever remember seeing on a shelf that I ever remember anybody talking about. You know, it's one that I would come to later and enjoy, uh, but it's definitely not one that I was aware of as a I want to say, you know, 15 year old, basically. To be fair, you probably couldn't even find it on the shelf. Yeah, I, could, I mean, even if it was on the shelf, I wouldn't know what game it was, right? Because <laughs> yeah. there's no spine label. Yeah, 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 that's exactly. true, actually. How did that get past, you know, it was must have been an intern that was uh, manning the quality control desk at the time. I, I don't know, right? I mean, they definitely, I'm sure they definitely, when they realized, they're like, Okay, that guy's fired. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. Maybe some I accidentally forgot to add a layer into their Photoshop uh, thing, or forgot mm-hmm. to unhide yeah. it. Oh, oh seriously, that that's all it was. It's just a hidden layer. Oh yeah, um, lay- Photoshop layers are probably to blame for uh, most of those problems, like Crusader No Remorse, which has like the sh- yeah. the logo 
on top of the stripes, but then the back shadow, like the drop shadow is behind the stripes. And so it has this weird effect. That's just a layering thing, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's funny, like doing repros and stuff, I can kind of relate. Like there have been at least one or two times early on where I printed a ton of things just realizing, oh my God, I made a huge mistake. And now I have to like shred all of this and do it again. But to do it on that massive of a scale where they're like, oh, well, I guess we have to ship it. (laughs) To answer your question, I think it's a wonderful game. It's just not one that really hit my radar back in the day. Um. Okay, and I'm going to come back to you to see what you think of it today, but I'm just going to uh, move over to Ben and see, uh, just check in to see what your opinions of the game are. Yeah, sure. So I'm similar to Dave's situation where it just was not on my radar back in the day. It was a, um, it was just so overlooked uh, because of all the other games that were coming out, uh, all the games that he had mentioned, platformers, things that were loud and, you know, uh, it, wanting to be known and these big great things like Panzer, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I ran into the same situation. And so I love platformers. I'm surprised I missed this back in the day. But what I ended up doing was because the spine label was missing, when I'm uh, searching through games out at stores, I'm like, what the heck is game is this? Because I don't have anything on it. So I'd look at it. Oh, okay. You know, Astol, I don't know what that is. Okay. And then I would do that like three times keep grabbing Astol every time I came into the game store. And for that reason, I was like, let's try this game out. Let's see what this is all about. And I played it and it was actually pretty amazing. It looks like something that, uh, in my opinion, is what they truly wanted to do with the 32X back with the Genesis stuff. This a uh, multi-layering bunch of palettes of colors, beautiful game. And uh, it was a lot of fun to play. It was well-paced. It uh, felt really good as far as how to control it. You know, I, I really enjoyed it when I actually did pick it up. But it just was not there when it first came out. I just had no idea about it. Interesting. Interesting. And I kind of wonder whether that was a bit of a casualty of the fact that the game wasn't a launch title, but it did come out pretty early on. And so there wasn't very much advertising for it. Like, you know, the launch ad campaign featured all the launch games and everything. Uh, but a stall was, was not part of that. And so, um, then, then it came out during that awkward period just after the launch, but just before the, um, PlayStation launched. So, so it was kind of, you know, kind of maybe lost in the shuffle, I guess. I think um, it's a combination of that and being 2d. Like it's a casualty of being 2d. Nobody was talking about it because yeah. they were, they were kind of sweeping it under the rug, talking about the 3d games and really featuring the 3d games as, as poor as Saturn was doing from a marketing standpoint, only the really loud things got through because we were mostly getting hype for ultra 64 and then PlayStation, PlayStation, you know? Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you heard about Saturn at all, like Pat over here, didn't even hear about Saturn and he's not alone. Like most people didn't hear about Saturn. I only heard bits and pieces. And what I did hear were just the really high profile stuff that got through. So if it was a 2d game that editor, you know, that, you know, journalists were basically saying, uh, you know, it's fair to middling because it's too, just because it's 2D. They weren't talking about it, so it just didn't get through. Yeah, and that's yeah. a good point. Like, um, a lot of the reviews of the time were kind of mediocre to okay, but nobody said, hey, this is the best 2D game ever, you know, buy it now. So it, it didn't get that attention. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on it, Pat? Uh, bad game. I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, no, ba- basically, the 
the way that I look at it is that I think my favorite thing about that is that it's one of the games where you know that whole like you know oh they make the cutesy the cutesy uh, Japanese character like rough and tough for American audiences. It's the one time I think they probably did that right because he actually in the game is pretty rough and tough and like you know a, a grungy kind of dude if that makes sense. Like he's not like the typical cutesy cutesy character, which I kind of I kind of like. You know, it's one time where the Americanization of the box art, like with you know they make the character like angry and like mad on the cover like with all the Kirby games kind of makes sense if that if that makes sense mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it's one of the few games I don't mind the American box art to be honest with you <laughs> I mean the Japanese box art is probably better arguably <clears throat> but but the American box art isn't terrible you know like most yeah. of the other stuff except for the crime of the missing logo on the spine of course yeah well, there you go yeah yeah they had to do that <laughs> of course but yeah but overall I really I really enjoy the game it's it's pretty fun it kind of it kind of really has a PS1 side scrolling feel to it if that makes sense like it feels like somebody took it from a PS1 side scroll like you know the maybe it was it the like punky skunk or something like that or like one of those like you know no budget games and and it's really fun i can see why it got lost in the shuffle though because you know the way back then if it's not 3d it's not getting focused and like i don't know game scores like it's kind of funny middling middling game scores back in the day like you know 2 and 3 out of 10s usually you get high praise nowadays like some of the 2d ones that are out because you know back then it's like a different a different mindset than now where it's like you know you see all these hidden gem things where every, all these games are amazing and stuff but you see the reviews like back in the day it's like oh three out of ten two out of ten and stuff like oh not 3d or something like that and you know this game is definitely a good seven eight out of ten game it's not bad it was just wasn't you know what people were looking for back then, and the times change, and so do views. It's it's kind of funny how that works. Like it's kind of, I guess to um, analogize it to music, it's like when Pinkerton dropped with by Weezer, everyone hated that album back in the day, but now it's like the de facto Weezer album, if not the best one they've ever written. And kind of compare some of these games like that. I mean, Stall definitely isn't you know the best sounding game of all time, but it's it's really good. I like it and. It's definitely a 7 out of 10 game for me. So there was a couple changes made from the Japanese release over to the American one. Uh, and it all sort of had to do around difficulty. So the Japanese game, Estal starts out with five hits, whereas it was changed in North America that he only has three hits. And the Japanese game also gives you unlimited continues, whereas the North American game, you've got one continue. So, you know, it was definitely tweaked to be more difficult. You know, you kind of wonder how much of that was to combat the sort of weekend rentals where people would rent a game, give it a try, beat it over the weekend, return it and never, you know, buy it. Right. That's exactly why they did it. Yeah. And that's it, which I understand. Like, I totally get it. Like these games weren't cheap uh, back then. But but yeah, those were, you know, aside from obviously uh, language and whatever, those were really, you know, the only major changes made to the gameplay. But it's an interesting, interesting take that you say kind of looks it's got like a, a bit of a PS1 vibe. That's I never thought of it that way, but I think you're right. Like it's, you know, it seems to have, you know, that brighter color that that PS games are kind of known for in spades. So that's definitely there. Um, Dave, I'm going to circle back to you. I'm just curious. So, you know, now that we are in the 2020s, we're long past the time where this is a current game, obviously. You know, how has how has your opinion of it changed? Like, is this a game that, you would enjoy nowadays that you would pay attention to do you think this kind of now falls on this sort of higher end tier of saturn games or or what do you think yeah i think that uh i think that it's a great game i do um i think that it's kind of special like it's not 
this is definitely to me i don't see this as like a bubsy 3d or as like a you know budget back alley platformer like i actually see this as kind of like a a really special 2d platformer that kind of constantly goes underappreciated or un, under you know people don't really realize how unique and special it is I, uh, like all, all the graphics all the art design and everything is very bespoke is very much like unique to this series the character is is cool like you can pick up these huge trees and like chuck them um it is you know the controls initially kind of take a little bit of getting used to just because it is so different than most you know mario style jump on things you know jump on platforms kind of platformer you know um but you know it controls fairly well the art is beautiful the music is amazing amazing i'm not just saying that like the music is really really good um the story it's got this cute story you know and he has to save his girlfriend and uh again the music like the intro you know uh da -da 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 -da. i think uh i think you know sega lord x uses that for his intro it's really cool you know um yeah i know the yeah. gameplay is great i would just say that i think they kind of so this game came out in april okay uh saturn launched early right you know it wasn't supposed to, but it launched early in America, right? Otherwise, I imagine this probably would have been a launch title or close to it, right? Um, mm -hmm. Came out in April in Japan, you know, and then it wouldn't come out until the software drought in like August in the West, you know, for the Saturn, right. you know? So, and at that time, it was like, there was a software drought. People were complaining about no games for Saturn. Then this drops and it's like a 2D game. And they're like, eh, you know, like we want more. Give us more Panzer Dragoon, you know, or whatever. You know, give us more 3D gameplay. It's supposed mm -hmm. to be cutting edge stuff. You know, you give us this uh, 2D side scroller. What is this? Last gen, you know? I think people's opinions were fairly negative. And then on top of that, the Western game is brutally difficult. And mm -hmm. um I think part of that is because of the, the rental market at the time. You know, uh, as a kid, I always thought that the Japanese version of, of games were supposed to be harder, you know, or at least that's mm -hmm. kind of was my general understanding is that, oh, you know, Japanese gamers are hardcore and they always have their version be, be harder. But actually, in this case, I would recommend people play the Japanese version because it's easier. You get more lives, whereas uh, with this, you get you only get three. Correct. Yeah. And. And just some of the platforming difficulty is just really brutal. And and so I think that they made it more difficult. This is just my theory, but it's very it's a very common theory is that at the time the rental game rental market was huge and Saturn was no exception. They would rent out the actual console. I think that's how you experienced the console early on. Yep. Blockbuster, Hollywood video. They would rent out the console with a game or whatnot. And um, they'd want you to re-rent it, you know. So if you could finish it in one sitting, you know, they, they you wouldn't re-rent the game, you know. So, of course, they would make these games punishingly difficult. And, of course, it was illegal to rent consoles or games in Japan. So that market mm. didn't even exist. They didn't rent games or consoles in Japan. That wasn't a thing. So, um, so yeah, over in Japan, there was just no need to to make it brutally difficult. But, yeah. Over here, a lot of games during that time period were casualties of being overly difficult just so that uh, they could squeeze another rental out of you. I mean, it's the reason why The Lion King is so hard. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so, you know, and it's also typical for some games, and this isn't the only case, you know, some games that were Western games that were ported over in Japan would kind of have the difficulty toned down so they were more like balanced, you know? Um so yeah, I mean that that's the only thing I would say that if folks want to check it out now, 
the 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 American version is too expensive anyway, you know. So go for go for the Japanese version, and you I think you'll quite enjoy it. And the only other thing I could say is that I think it's kind of a shame that this never made it to PAL territories. Agreed. And to be honest, if I compare uh, what's happening in a stall to you know what might go on in a typical sixteen bit platformer. I mean, it's got like to your point, it's got music that you wouldn't really be able to do on 16-bit, and it's got some graphical effects that you just couldn't do in 16-bit. So, you know, uh, you know, rotating sprites. There's a later level uh later in the game where one of the bosses you're fighting is this like big dragon that's like surrounded by flames. And the gimmick to defeat the dragon is he's got to sort of take in as much breath as he can. And then he just blows and it kind of stuns right. the, the fire dragon for a little bit. And like just the pixel art and the, the huge, huge sprites, none of that would be really possible on 16 bit. And some of the weird bosses like that, that weird eye that you have to jump up and, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. hit and grab and whatever. So like, you know, it, it was, it was definitely a step up from what was possible in 16-bit, and yet, to your point, it was largely ignored because that's not what people wanted at the time. So it's a yeah. classic case of, you know, misreading the market, misreading mm -hmm. your your uh, target audience there. So I hate um, it when games are judged based on what they're not. You know, I hate mm. it when I and then so many games fell uh, casualty to that during this generation. It was. Either in, it was an FMV game, and FMV is out of vogue, so we're not even going to look at it. If it's lunacy, you know, could mm -hmm. be the pinnacle of the genre. You know, it could be they they reached a point where they had ironed out all of the little problems with the genre, and, and they 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 reached the pinnacle example, and then it. But at that time, nobody's listening anymore. They're like, oh, you know, we we're convinced that you know, 3D is the future, and anything else is just doesn't matter. And and yep. this is the same thing, you know, it's like the pinnacle of the genre. Look at Pat's pay, playing the game right now and it has this amazing parallax scroll where the background scrolls one way and the foreground scrolls the other way to create this kind of yep. rotation effect, you know, with the with the enemy in the middle. I think Ben wants to say something though. Go ahead, Ben. Now, what is crazy though is so we have this big resurgence of game companies and developers that are developing these games in retro format. And on these retro consoles, on PCs, stuff like that. Okay, so imagine if Astel made today, you know, what, 20 years later, was made, uh, just came out of the gate. This is a, a 2D platformer that was just released on a uh, older console. This thing would be raving reviews. Everybody would love it. It just, it's, I totally it's so agree. wild. Yeah, that just because of the timing that it came out, that as Dave was saying, as people were uh, looking at things that were in vogue, such as like the FMVs or the platformers or whatnot, and everybody was wanting to see the next big 3D thing. And since this was not that, then this yeah. was just kind of quietly set off to the side. Do similar prejudices exist today? Because I, I feel like people are mostly graphical graphics agnostics these, these days. It's just like if it's an indie game and it's 2D, whatever, you play you play what's good, right? You know, if it has a good solid mechanic and and there's a story, people just don't care that much about the graphics these days, you know? Um Well it depends but, on who you ask. A lot of people like uh, I guess it does. I heard them knock on like I mean, if it's not sixty frames per second, a lot of people throw a fit nowadays. Yeah, that's that's, that's the, the thing. thing. It's not just the polygon count, it's how well it performs. I think that's that's really these days that's the thing. So if it, if it's, you know, Shredder's Revenge, which is 2D or Scott, the Scott Pilgrim game or whatever, it doesn't matter if it's 2D or 3D. It needs to perform well. It needs to have a high frame rate 
and it needs to be fluid. That's the biggest criticism that that games get these days on like DF Retro and stuff. Like, does it perform well or does it constantly dip below 20 or whatever and and kind of lag? And so latency and performance are really the, the key factors these days. But back then it was like polygon count, you know, and yep. bits. <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny, hey, I mean, it's a 2D game, colorful, to Ben's point, would be received probably super well right now. And yet it's it it remains locked to the Saturn. It is a Saturn exclusive. It hasn't been ported anywhere, hasn't been remade anywhere. If you want to play this game, you're gonna to need to play it on the on the Sega Saturn. So interesting. Okay, any any final thoughts from any uh, any of us on Astal? If this came out for Switch, I would buy it in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. No no Same. question. I, I think that this would be a perfect Switch game. And if they gave it like you could control the difficulty and you could have achievements and unlock, you know. Yeah, I think it would be amazing. I feel like Limited yeah. Run Games just took note. <laughs> oh, I hope yeah. so. <laughs> yeah, if you're listening, Limited Run, this is a good one to to port over. So, I mean, I'm sure it's already on the radar, but are there would there be any licensing? Thing? I don't think so. I don't Sega think CS, so. right? Yeah, it was it was done in house. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, who knows? We've been getting all these SS tribute games coming out on Switch. So, you know, who knows? It, it could potentially even happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I, and for the most part, I really enjoy it. I think a lot of people should try it if they haven't, because it's still a pretty fun platform, and I really enjoy it. Wake up, dear it's Okay, let's move on to the next uh, 2D platforming game. And it's actually a pair of games, although you could argue it is one whole complete game. And that is Clockwork Knight. So the first Clockwork Knight game released right at the Saturn's launch uh, here in North America, as well as in Europe. So in 1995, it was met with some relatively lukewarm reviews. It you know, it certainly didn't get up to the same level of attention as the Daytona USA's or the um, Panzer Dragoons or even the Virtua Fighters of the launch lineup. So it was definitely sort of on the lower end tier of the, the launch lineups. And it was often actually compared to Toy Story, which came out a little bit later on the 16-bit platforms on the Super NES and the Genesis. And it, you know, that was just a, an amazing game uh, visually for the 16-bit systems. And so this game was sometimes compared unfavorably to that 16-bit game. And then, you know, not too long after, like less than a year later, we ended up getting Clockwork Night 2, which is almost like the back-end set of levels to the first game. Like, they really flow from yeah. from part one to part two, right? And, you know, yeah. ultimately, eventually in Japan, the game was released on a single disc, like both games, uh, part exactly. one and part two. So clearly, they were meant to be together. So mm-hmm. um, some pretty solid 2D gameplay with some some 3D visual elements. The colors, especially in the first game, can sometimes actually be a little jarring, but it's got some memorable music. Some people love it. Some people can't stand it. Um, you know, so, so thoughts. I want to I want to maybe start with with you, Ben. Any thoughts on Clockwork Night? Yeah. So when I tried playing this game, when it came out, it just um, it honestly was a little too slow on the pacing for me. Uh, the It just felt 
I don't want to say sluggish because it's not sluggish, but the movement speed of the character uh, in the way he uh, goes through the stages just was because I was so used to faster paced platformers and ones that I felt like Mm -hmm. I had a little bit more control of. That was the one thing that kind of held against me on this game. But on the flip side, this game was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Looked great. Sounded great. It was very colorful and really just full of life. Nice. Nice. Um, Dave, your thoughts? Well, I agree with Ben that this game is definitely full of life. It's it's colorful, it's vibrant. I would say that what it is is so much to a degree that if it's something, it, it could be off-putting to some folks if it's just not your style or not your flavor. But um, again, Peter, I think you, you and I talked about this recently about you know expectation versus you know, reality, what, what you expect versus what you get. And that sounds mm-hmm. like a little bit of what Ben experienced, you know. And I think that with Clockwork Night, you really just have to embrace it for what it is. Embrace all the pastel colors, embrace the the game mechanic, which is actually really sound, a really great platforming, some really cool like feedback that you get with the popping mechanic and the throwing and stuff like that. It does move slower. I would say that if it moved faster, you would die a lot more because uh, there are a lot of like areas and hazards where you can easily lose sprockets or whatever. But yeah, no, I mean, it's very colorful. It's got this cute little story where Sir Tongar de Pepper Chow the third or Pepper, uh, he's a toy soldier. He's a clockwork soldier where he has to save Chelsea, who's like a princess or whatever. And the toy, I, I guess he's got a, he's also got some competition who is a love interest as well, you know? So anyway, it's just cute. It definitely at the time seemed derivative, but I don't think that's possible because because it just happened to come out at the same time as the movie Toy Story, you know, around that time. Mm-hmm. And yep. then it, it seems like it would, was copying that, but it's not possible when you think about the fact that they had to be working on this for over a year, you know, or close to a year, you know, uh, ahead of time. They wouldn't have known about Toy Story, you know, they w- maybe they would have known that it was coming, but they wouldn't have been able to copy Toy Story, you know. Uh, so I, I imagine they probably got some inspiration from Pixar's Tin Toy, possibly. Mm, okay. That, that, that's a, that is a possibility. But I definitely don't think, I think it was just a coincidence that they both happened to come out. It was a cool idea. And um, yes, people compared this to, I, for one, compared this to Toy Story the game because they both used digitized, what do you, like like pre-modeled, digitized, digitized 3D, yeah, sprite. pre-rendered, yeah, 3D. Exactly. Yep. Thanks, Pat. So pre, pre-render 3D for the sprite and then the backgrounds and all that stuff that that was the thing that was unique to this game is that, you know, a lot of the objects would fall into the foreground and you would be um, basically platforming on 3D objects, which was really cool. But I didn't appreciate that back in the day. I kind of judged this based on, you know, the fact that I felt like it was derivative. But, you yeah, know, it's a really great game that has grown on me immensely over the years. And I what I used to hate the soundtrack. I used to think it was like really, really, I don't know, nails on a chalkboard. It, I just, it's just so much, you know, it, what it mm-hmm. is, it's just so much. It's extra, you know, and it's got the banjo, which I mean, Super Mario World did the banjo, you know, I, there were parts of it I thought were kind of derivative, but it's just, I don't know, it's grown on me. <laughs> I'm kind of lost for words. All I can say is that this game is, I think, very special. And, and um, as a pair of games, I think it's great. Uh, Pat, how's you? How's your experience been uh, playing the game? So when I first saw it, I thought I took it at face value, like, oh, it's in one of those another, you know, the dumb 3D games on Saturn that's like kind of meh. But when I really played it and I really looked into it, I really, really ended up enjoying it. I thought the controls are just so smooth in this game, 
it feels like he just does everything you want him to do. And I really like it. And like, I think the one of the biggest distinctions, like Dave said about the toy story is that it feels very Japanese, like the music, like even, and that's what I like about, they kept it very Japanese esque. They didn't try to like Americanize it, like add sweet rock and roll guitars or mess up the soundtrack. It, it's, it's blatantly Japanese and I love it for it. Cause like, even, even though they record an English version of that opening, it was still like, a, it was very Japanese J-pop feeling sound to this, the opening, which yeah. I appreciate. Yeah. And like I think the game is very, very, very nice. I love the 3D backgrounds, and I, I just really enjoy this game. And honestly, it grew on me. And I really think it's probably one of the hashtag best of Saturn games for real. Nice, nice. Man, now you got me wanting to go back and play this again. I just kind of uh, when I first tried this, I was like, it's just not my flavor, and that's okay. You know, you'll find games that just work for you or don't work for you. Uh, but now I kind of want to be like, I, I got to give Clockwork Knight another go. I would definitely recommend that. I was the same way. I was I had the same opinion and and it was listening to somebody, I don't even remember who, on a podcast talk so positively about it that made me think, you know, maybe I maybe I don't get it or maybe I wasn't giving it its fair due. Maybe I maybe I was just playing kind of like a, a quick sit down play and kind of coming jumping to conclusions about it. And then um yeah, I went back and played it. And of course, I've loved it now for for years, but I didn't always, you know. But uh, but yeah, it was, I think that uh, I think that it was Sega CS Consumer Research and Development that did a stall, and then it was Team Aquila that did uh, Clockwork Knight. So then they must have also done the sequel, then Clockwork Knight Number Two, obviously. Yeah, which which I don't ever think was really a sequel. You know, I think yeah, it was yeah, really it was... like there was this idea to do this big long game, right? And they were just like, we need something now. Cut, put yeah. a bookend on it and ship it. And then you guys can have more time to work on the second half. And then when you guys are all done, we'll put it together on a disc as a, as a one thing, you know, because <laughs> it really does play seamlessly. It's not like it doesn't really have a proper ending. You know, the first game doesn't right. have a proper ending. So yes. so I feel it was just always supposed to be just one big game. You know, did they do the the unreleased puzzle game? The unreleased clock puzzle? Night puzzle, Night game? puzzle? Um, yeah, did they do that as well? Quick, I believe it? so. It would make sense that it would have been them, right? So. It would. You know, you know, some of these spinoffs, though, sometimes they don't, you know? Penguin War, you know, it doesn't really say from what we have, uh, from the information that we have, it basically just says Sega, developer Sega. Maybe somebody else has more information, but that, of course, is a good thing to bring up because that, I feel like, is the forebearer of Choo Choo Rocket. A lot of the mechanics in Clockwork Night puzzle would go on to be used heavily in, like, Choo Choo Rocket, you know? With like the little arrows and the, yeah. So I think that that's kind of like, there's, there's a lot of DNA there. Uh, and folks should je- definitely try that out. It's available on Hidden Palace. I'm going to have to download it because I, I admit I have not yet tried Clockwork Night Puzzle. So um, seriously. Yeah, no, I, I know. Now I know what you you're know. getting for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I do have, but you know, so, you know, I'll just talk a little bit about my, about my own experience with the Clockwork Night games. So just like with a stall, I didn't really give it the time of day at the time because, you know, just like everybody else, I wanted the next big thing. I wanted the 3D games. I wanted something I'd never experienced before, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, and, and it could just also be because my tastes as a gamer back then were way more narrow. It's almost like saying, you know, all you ever want is burgers, pizza, and fries. Whereas as you grow older and your palate develops, now you want some of the finer foods, right? It's kind of like that with me in gaming. 
Um, so, you know, I've, I've given the game a try again, uh, not too long ago, and I've played through the entire game and I actually quite loved it. Um, you know, initially the colors were too sort of overpowering for me. Like they were just too intense and I didn't mind them this time around. Initially the music I thought was like, okay, where in what back country did we get this music from? <laughs> yeah. but, uh, right. It's a genre mash. Yeah, it, it really is. And, but again, it sort of, it sort of grows on you. And, you know, then you sort of get into the second game, which I have to admit is a bit more polished visually. It just looks cleaner, better, smoother, maybe a little bit more like there's there's better color integration. It's not as offensive to the eyeballs, maybe, or not Mm. as strong on the eyeballs. So, you know, because it starts out in the girl's bedroom. So it's all pink. Like that, the, right. the first game starts out of the girl's bedroom, but each locale kind of changes. It's like a study where everything is wood grain and, you know, so I think it's, and, it's yeah. just very, the fact that they decided to start out in like the girl's bedroom made it very like, <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. To the eyes, you know, it's blinding. Yeah. You know what this game actually reminds me of is a uh, toy commander a bit with the, the room traversing. Yeah. Mm. That's not an unfair comparison. We're all grown men and we all, I think by now are, you know, we like things like figurines and anime and cosplay and all these things that are kind of cutesy, you know, Hatsune Miku and uh, it's just funny because, but back, (laughs) back then, back then though, you can't deny the fact that everything, it was the grunge era and everything yeah. was supposed to be really dark and edgy, you know? You got yeah. bands like Tool and, and Nirvana and whatnot. It was just like, it wasn't cool to to like this kind of stuff in the West. You know, we were still going undergoing like a cultural eye-opening thing with with a lot of Japanese culture coming over to the West, you know? And, and it, and it kind of would start on the coast, you know, and work its way in. Yeah, you would have people say that that three three letter derogatory term for things if it wasn't you know right. hardcore, if it wasn't spawn, like yeah. oh, it's edgy, and that kind of was with the nineties. There was the mm-hmm. the decade of the edge where it's like all those edgy hardcore games. Even like the anime was incredibly hardcore, but like you know if you had anything less of you know decapitating and killing or yeah. something like that or badass, it's like that's just that three three letter word that was derogatory about it, and it, so it really is gamers. disappointing. Yeah, teen gamers almost had like a phobia of stuff like this. You'd look at this and say, oh, either this is a little kid's game or it's girly or something like that. It's something that I don't feel comfortable liking because if I played this in front of my friends, I would get, you know, teased at school. And and that's kind of the thing. That's why I kind of kept nights to myself because I was just like, if I tell my friends that this is my favorite game, <laughs> I will get laughed out of class, you know, Um But yeah, and I've talked about this before with Peter. It's just, you know, we were kind of afraid to, uh, of, you know, like talking about emotion or talking about feelings and stuff like that. I don't want to go so far into it. But this, again, it's a cutesy game. And to just embrace this game and be comfortable with it for what it is, it it means that you're, you know, you're you're just accepting the fact that it's kind of kidsy. It's kind of kiddie, you know, and that's okay. Definitely. You know, I'm going to say one thing, though that I found similar between the Clockwork Knight games and a stall, and that is an aspect of the control scheme. So so by default, both a stall and Pepper are going to sort of move 
slowly, but if you double tap forward, they're going to go at a run, right? But I find the transition between the two is a little bit difficult sometimes. And it it isn't like the, the walk is a bit too slow and the run is a bit too fast in both games. Yes. And so, right. And so I, I love their control schemes for in both both games. And I, mm-hmm. I, I find that the game controls well. There's no issues there, except mm-hmm. for that one element, you know, between the walking and the and running. And there's a latency. Yeah, it feels like there is. You're right. That is a criticism that I think we have to talk about. Yeah. Yes. And Ben, I saw you nodding your head there. So you obviously agree with this too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that latency between the walk and the run just made it really difficult to go into a run. And then once you're in the run, it just was, like you mentioned, really fast and just hard to deal with. Yeah, I didn't notice it until you brought it up. It seems like it was, there was a too fast of a run, too slow of a walk. There was never like any in between. Maybe right. that's how it was designed, though. And there's no stop button. There's no like ground ground pound or way to kind of like immediately stop your character on a dime. Even with knights, you can put both triggers and you can stop, like you do like an air brake kind of thing. Well, with platforming, you need to be able to stop on a dime sometimes. You know, otherwise you end up careening off the edge, and that is a par- a problem with this. With that slight latency between, you know, you want to you want to stop, but you're still running. You know, so. One of those things they didn't iron out. Just curious from anybody, really, if they if anybody's got any sort of different thoughts or feelings about Clockwork Night number two, if that second part did anything, you know, exceptionally different or better or what have you than the first game did. It's harder. Uh, it's slightly harder uh, difficulty wise, but that I think that's maybe a good thing because the first game is really short and it's pretty easy. Um, it has better character models and you get to ride a horse which is like a broom horse or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know, so that's cool. There's like rail grinding and stuff, you know, it's, so yep. there's some neat ideas going on there. Yeah. And, you know, just like I mentioned earlier, it seems like the visuals are, are a little bit more polished and tightened up. And, you know, there's, there's a few extra effects thrown in. Like, I think there's like some fog that you got to deal with in mm-hmm. one of the rooms. I think it was the kitchen, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. The steam. The steam, right? Yeah, or maybe it was the bathroom in that case. But yeah, there was that that steam effect. So you know, it looks a little bit sharper, I guess, maybe than the first game. But really, at the end of the day, the two games are essentially two halves of one whole, right? You know, and and they are best played one after the other. And they didn't release too far off from each other, to be honest. Uh, you know, the first one was a launch title. The second one came less than a year later. So uh, definitely, Clockwork Night Two is. It goes for a lot more long box, you know, Western yeah. long box. It goes for a lot more than Clockwork Night One. That would suggest that one is more common, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I have to assume that would suggest there was like a lower print run of number two. Maybe one didn't like review particularly well. And so they just decided to not send over as many. Whereas like I think in the in, in Japan, it's negligible. Like they're it did much better in Japan. And I think they're kind of neck and neck in terms of value or whatever, you know? Yep. Yeah, and I would agree with that too. Yeah, and to be fair, if you want to play them, you don't have to necessarily get the U.S. version unless you really want that no. music because it's fully playable in English and in, in the Japanese version. Absolutely. If you just want the Japanese sure. song, I think that's really the only difference to it. So, with arguably better box art. <laughs> in, in yeah. The okay. Japanese maybe the text, the the text of the lady between, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's very minimal. It's a great series. That's that's another one I wish Sega would bring back. Yeah, no, that's true. As a proper 2D with all the bells and whistles of what's possible today, I think it would be really good. I mean, they own it outright, and there are yep. no licensing issues that I can see. Like, there's, why not? 
I mean, yep. I just don't get it. You know, it's so yeah. lovable. You know, the character, the characters are so lovable. I, th- I think people would really like it. But yeah, just like with a stall, this game is still exclusive to the Saturn. As far as I know, I don't think it's come out anywhere else on anything modern. Certainly nothing contemporary at the time, but even on modern, nothing's come out. Um, would you guys recommend that folks give this a try today? 100%. Absolutely. Yes, it's absolutely. really good. You know, I even need to give it a try today. So I would absolutely say if I've got to give it a try and based on the feedback here, I think uh, everybody listening should give it a try. Yeah, also, even the long the price for the long box isn't even that bad in comparison to other games. Like, I think I'm seeing like the max is like maybe 100 for the Clockwork Night 2 and maybe 40 to 50 for or 40 to 60 for Clockwork Night 1. So. I think uh, honestly, maybe uh, maybe the prices dropped on long boxes, but that doesn't seem bad to me anymore. No, no, you're right. That's true. It's never the first one was never one of the pricier games. The second one's a little higher, yes, but neither of them are you know in the realms of uh, insanity. So, so definitely affordable. Alright, let's move on to our next game on the list. So when Pat is not grabbing Astal, he's probably reaching for some Gex. Right? Every day. So- <laughs> Every day. All right. All day I dream about Gexia. All day. I dream about Gexia. All day. I dream let's about Gex. Let's talk about Gex, baby. <laughs> I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, okay, so Gex released uh, mid-December 1995. It was originally a 3DO game. That's what Crystal Dynamics, that's where they wanted to have Gex. So uh, it started on 3DO, but it was subsequently, like they weren't satisfied with Gex just on the 3DO. They wanted to have Gex on the Saturn. They wanted to have Gex on the PlayStation. So there was a lot of Gex going on uh, when the game came out. Yeah, honestly, honestly, the thing the thing with Gex is that you know when you have it for the first time, it's not the best, and usually you have it in a really bad situation, so you have to move it to something. You have to yeah. do do it somewhere better. You have to put Gex somewhere better. So I'm glad <laughs> it moved to something a lot better than the first one because the first one just wasn't, you know, it wasn't there. It wasn't as good. What are you talking about? Disagree. I mean, I guess maybe you never forget your first time of playing some Gex, though. So. I just, you know, I feel that we are really... When I get of... that feeling, I need Gexual healing. No? Oh, God. <laughs> okay, so... I, think what, I, I think as you get older, just Gex gets better. You know what? You're right. It's so, But in your endos aside, um, I think that... <laughs> I think that we need to just really be careful. Um, so, so, so the gimmick in Gex is that he can scale walls and even sort of, you know, cling upside down to ceilings. So, so very thematic game, lots of different levels with different themes. Um, and then the other memorable thing that this game did to quote unquote, try to take advantage of being, you know, on 32 bit platforms is there are a lot of voice acting clips that play throughout the game, like cheesy uh, one-liners, very similar to what you would sometimes get in Bug, for example, right? So, um, you know, and and they're all, you know, relatively kind of 90s funny the first time you hear them. You know, some folks will say that they can kind of... Dana Gold, I, I think they're better. You think so, eh? Oh, yeah. I, I think Bug copied Gex, or I don't know, maybe that's not possible, but... I think that, yeah, I think that the Gex's one-liners always, I always liked a little bit better than. 
And like, I know that back in the day when we talked to the president of Real Time Associates, like he said that the reason that Bug had a lot of the one liners and whatever is that they were really aiming for this like Saturday morning cartoon, goofy kind of, you know what I mean? Almost like a Looney Tunes kind of vibe right whereas i think with gex it was more about getting like the comedy in like the funny yeah adult tongue-in-cheek kind of over over kids heads and and you know it could be it could be a kids and adult game you know uh and definitely they did it more with enter the gecko you know they even even more like would cheech and or chong come to the reception desk or you know they they would they would put a lot of you know little things in but uh but gex was a great game don't you think so? Like, I, I think it's, yeah. I think it's, great. I, 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 love I don't it. want to alarm you guys, but I think I'm having some issues. Gex isn't working for me right now. It's just locked up. <laughs> oh, I can't, no. I can't proceed with the Gex. Okay. okay. So Gex was fantastic. This was absolutely on my radar when I was playing Saturn games, when I was, when the Saturn was out, it, it was exactly what I wanted. It was a platformer. It had its unique little gimmick of the wall crawl and the tail whips and I, I had so much fun with this thing. And it was actually mm-hmm. a really good length of a game, too. Like, mm-hmm. you weren't going to yep. finish it, you know, too quickly. It was long. I think, what, like, you could spend, granted, if you get the power-ups or whatever, uh, or the tokens or whatever it was, but what, about two hours, two and a half hours, something like that? And yeah. um, it, and that's a great length of a game to play when you're a kid sitting in your um, living room. And wasn't there an aspect to the game where you had to collect part? I, I could be wrong here, so correct me if I'm wrong. But you had to like be collecting parts of a remote or whatever. And if you found every single part in all the levels, you would unlock like an extra bonus additional level, right? You collected remotes. You, you Is that what it was? Okay. Individual okay. remotes. But you also collected VHS tapes uh, in the 3DO version, which you would put into the VHS and save your game. Uh, wow. Where they got away with that, they went with a lazy password system in the Saturn version, um, which is one of the reasons to like the 3DO version better. The 3DO version, arguably, I can't say that it's the definitive version because there are some okay, only because with the Saturn you get the Saturn pad, and I would say yeah. that that the game controls better with the Saturn pad, and mm. it does have some in it does have some improved performance, you know, frame rate and uh, platforming performance. It's a little sluggish on 3DO. And you have to use the 3DO pad, which isn't the best pad. <laughs> don't, you, don't, don't, you, don't you argue that you think that the 3DO version is the better version? The 3DO version definitely looks better. 3DO had a different uh, color bit depth. Look, the it looks much more lush, and all of the graphics, all of the hand, the drawing, because a lot of like hand drawing went into it. You can see everything very clearly. When when it was ported over to Saturn and PlayStation and perhaps other consoles, what happened was they had to change from one color bit depth to another, and it basically bloomed or or basically crushed all the blacks and made everything like really white. So imagine just turning up the contrast and like turning up the contrast really high. Well, what happens is like the graveyard scene in the backyard, or sorry, in the background just becomes black and like a silhouette. You can't see any of the artwork. The moon, the face on the moon just becomes really washed out and, and there's no detail. Whereas with the 3DO version, it's just everything just looks really colorful and vibrant and there's detail there because of that difference in, in color bit depth. So um, with, with that and the VHS tapes for saving, I think that the 3DO has a good argument for it being the better version. But with the Saturn, you have a, a performance bump and you also have the Saturn's pad, which is much mm-hmm much better. I mean, it's the best 
2D gaming pad that you can have. So those are, it's like, it is kind of sad. You can't actually have the best version of Gex. You have to play either or and kind of deal with the compromises. But it's not, it's not the way it works with Gex. But my thing is, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, I mean, like, uh, why? I don't wonder, have, has it ever been ported to a modern console? Like, is there any ways to have some modern Gex? You know, like there, there's a good question. I mean, if if uh, Limited Run did that, you know, like they recently ported D from the 3DO. If they did it, I think that they definitely should take the 3DO version, but to just make sure that it performs really, really well and has the original I mean, save functionality. It's, it's fitting really that, that they go from D to Gex. So, I mean, there, there's some <laughs> things there that could but be But Ben's not implied. wrong about it being, it was incredibly ubiquitous back in the day. Like Gex was everywhere um they had this interesting they had this interesting little box design where he's basically sitting there inside the the game box and it's like the the cover is ripped off and so like he's he's like kind of sitting there posing inside the the game box you know what i'm talking about man there's so many i'm just gonna stop making jokes at this point yeah you should (laughs) oh my god but i mean gex was like tomb raider essentially it was you walked into a store and you were just overloaded on every console wasn't there actually like a, a Tomb Raider thing where like Gex was with Laura Croft at one point? I don't know. Gex was Crystal Dynamics. It was really what put them on the map. And I know that there was some kind of connection between Crystal Dynamics and IDOS, right? Or wait, Core. I get confused. You might be thinking of some of the magazines because some of the magazines, when they were doing the artwork for uh, like splash pages, they would very frequently use uh, Gex and Laura Croft on the same splash. Yeah. Okay. I, I figured as much. Were, yeah. yeah. They were very popular. I wonder if anybody did like the Duke Nukem thing, you know, where they had the never mind. I'm not going to bring never mind. <laughs> and we all know what you're talking about. Yeah, Isn't we know sad? what you're talking about. Yeah, we all know what you're talking about. Yeah, no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> um, But OK, yeah, so Tomb Raider was IDOS, but eventually Crystal Dynamics picked up the rights to Tomb Raider. So that could be some. Well, of the wait, connection. Tomb Raider was core, though, right? Early, early. So Core developed it and IDOS published it, right? IDOS published it and IDOS uh, basically would go on. Core would kind of disappear, right? And and it would just be IDOS in the modern Tomb Raiders, right? And then um, what was the connection between Crystal Dynamics? Well, Crystal Dynamics ultimately ended up, I don't know if they bought the Tomb Raider franchise and they put out a bunch of Tomb Raider games or if they just published them or whatever, but there was definitely that connection. So that could be where some of the Gex... Lara yeah. But like, you know, like Ben was saying, like, I remember that too, you know, various sort of splash um, sort of ads and, and, and spreads in magazines. They often had those two characters on there. Cause you, cause you're right. Isn't it weird? Like a stall wasn't everywhere, you know, clockwork night wasn't everywhere, but Gex was everywhere. You know, Crystal Dynamics knew how to market a game. They would put trailer reels on their disc. So when you, I don't know if this goes for Saturn, I haven't looked at it recently, but on the, on every Crystal Dynamics game on the 3DO, you pop the game in and it immediately plays a, a trailer reel of all of their games, you know, yeah. like check out this new game, blockbuster yeah. title, you know, and you'd have to like, when you press A, then it would go to the title screen, but you could always go back and play that trailer reel if you wanted to. I mean, they were just so heavy on on marketing, you know, their yeah. games. And I mean, the same would go for something like, uh, what is it? Pandemonium, uh, which was yes. what, Crystal Dynamics. Yep. Yeah. They they marketed and pushed that game so much. I mean, it made it to Engage for goodness sake. But it was like everybody knew about that game because you'd go into your game store and you'd have standees and you'd have you're just marketing up the wazoo with that. And you'd have nothing for us stall. 
you wouldn't hear about a stall, <laughs> you know, it was and crazy. So I'll say though, that the one, you know, this is a criticism that you can level against a lot of 2d platform games, uh, on the Saturn. And it's the lack of the password or sorry, the lack of the, the save, like mm-hmm. you, you had passwords or you had nothing, but you didn't have, you know, an end game save system that took advantage of, you know, internal memory. And I, I, I don't understand why not. Like, I mean, why the game's code had it. It had it. It has it on the 3DO. It's amazing. I love it. Uh, you can save your game. You All you have to do is in, in any level, you find the VHS tape. And that, so that's the one caveat. You can't just save de facto. You have to find the VHS tape. And if you do, so it's almost a reward. You get to pop it into the VHS player and hit record and you can save your game, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you boot up the game, you're, you're greeted with a little VHS player and you can press play and, and it boots up your, your save, you know? I don't know why they didn't bring that over to Saturn. It's so lazy to just do a password, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Anyway, I don't, I, it seems like a lot of people were just like, you know what, let's not, I don't, we don't have time to implement this password system. Let's just let, or implement this save system. Let's just add a password, like with Command and Conquer. Could it be, like, could it be that they weren't smart enough, these, some of these third parties weren't smart enough to figure out how to get save files small enough? Like they, they, they could figure out the save, but it would take over the Saturn's entire internal memory, you know, because they weren't smart enough to figure out the compression. So they were just like, uh, you know, forget about it. We'll just do a password. We've interviewed a few folks that have mentioned that, that, that it was like, it wasn't enough to just implement saves. You had to know how to like compress it to, to make it so that it wouldn't take up so much data on Saturn's internal memory. Fascinating. And that could, because if you think about it, I mean, Sonic 3D Blast, no, no save, um, you know, Clockwork Knight, no save. Gex, password only. You know, it, it's it's a very pervasive issue and it, it didn't need to be, in my opinion. You know, it, it was just because at the end of the day, you know, who's going to have time to sit down and commit two and a half, three, three and a half, four hours to go through a game? I mean, you know, the older we get, the less likely it is that we will have that kind of time commitment that we can put on it, right? Mm-hmm. So I just, it's, it's a missed opportunity for me. One thing we didn't talk about is the overworld. Um, so, you know, like mm-hmm. Mario Brothers 3 and Mario World would do it first, you know, like big overworld, different lands with different themes and stuff. But uh, Gex was really cool with that. You know, you had the TV, it was basically like the TV world. And each zone consisted of like six to eight levels or something where you'd hop into these TV tubes, you know, uh, glowing TV tubes and you'd go into a level. But like, so the first level that you're greeted with is the graveyard level, which is wonderful because you got the music and you've got the vibe and the ambiance of Halloween, basically. And so it's one that I recommend folks go to every Halloween because it's just dripping with that kind of, you know, Saturday morning cartoon Halloween-y kind of experience, Mm. you know. And then when you get through that, you go to like the cartoon land of cartoons, you know, and everything is really wonky and cartoon like, you know. And then after that, uh, what does it go after the cartoons? Was it space or something? I forget. I haven't played that far in so long. (laughs) I finish quickly these days. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, God. (laughs) I blame you, Pat. 100%. (laughs) Good. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's great. I love the I love the overworlds, and I love um, I just love it when games go out of their way to create a unique sense of, uh, of flavor. You know, Gex isn't doesn't feel like a budget title. You know, it feels like they they put time and, and work into it. Whether or not it's for you, that's for that's up 
to you to decide, but it's a crafted game, you know? It's a well-crafted game. The people that made it, they cared, you know? And um, I, I guess the only thing I would ask you, Peter, or, or Ben, or Pat, how do you guys feel about Gex 2D, 2D Gex versus 3D Gex, which it became like on the N64 and PlayStation, Enter the Gecko? I kind of I prefer Gex in 2D. I know 3D, I think, kind of went a little bit over the top. Like just a collectathon, was, right? Yeah, kind of. It kind of like you know, it, it became like you know, oh, it's you know, funny talking animal parody game, sort of like like Conquer, except not as good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was good almost point. like it kind of felt like Spyro, but not nearly as good because like Spyro yeah. really did that genre well, you know. And Gex, when Gex made it to 3D, not so much, which is why it didn't really last, you know, as a genre. Yeah, basically, yeah, the 3D version of Gex, it just didn't have that kind of uh, pop, that thing that just comes with the game to m- get mm. you sucked into it. And the 2D version, absolutely, yes, love that version. Uh, 3D, yeah. yeah, it just felt kind of like a forced gimmick, like they would have pushed on like the Nintendo 64 or something. Right. That's, yeah, I would agree. Anytime that you can play um, a platformer both in 2D and 3D, I almost invariably prefer the 2D, whether that's Mario or Sonic or Gex, right? You know, I tend to veer more towards 2D. Yeah. Well, I think that, it, I think that you know, folks are kind of coming around to Gex and, and there's been, you know, YouTubers that get behind this game and, and, uh, and are like, you know, this series needs more love. But definitely, if folks have an opportunity yeah. to play it on 3DO and kind of see the difference, I definitely think they should. Not everybody has a 3DO though, yeah. so I mean, if you can yeah. play it, on- honestly, yeah, honestly though, uh, like Gex just gets better with age, like uh, Ben was saying. <laughs> oh. Okay. Oh god. <laughs> um, ben, would you recommend Gex? Absolutely, yeah. If you're a platforming fan, or let's just simplify that, if you like Mario games, you're gonna love Gex. Gex is amazing. It's fantastic. Nice, nice. Anyone not recommend Gex? Who wouldn't? Who doesn't like X? Well, that's true. That's a that's a good point. You know, it's always good to have some some Gex. Let's talk about the next game. On our list, which is Rayman, uh, came out on the Jaguar and the PlayStation, and then just like a few months later on the Saturn. The versions they all came out really basically in the fall winter of 1995, and really that's a common theme with a lot of the games that we're discussing today. They're all 1995 games, so that's not to say that platformers suddenly stopped existing, you know, in that generation after 1995. But I almost feel like that was the one big genre during the 16-bit generation. And so it almost felt like that's the one genre that folks should have been most comfortable with, you know, in 32-bit land, right? Um, but then, of course, all the new stuff came out, all the 3D uh, experiences came out. And so that's that's probably, a, you know, a big reason why 2D really faded out of the limelight quickly. But yeah, so, you know, uh, Rayman, uh, another late 1995 uh, release. It's a very long game. Um, It's even got some light uh, Metroidvania type elements because as the game goes on, Rayman picks up, you know, new abilities that allow him to sort of reach previously inaccessible areas and what have you. And there's definitely a collection aspect to the game. And so to be able to collect everything 100%, you're going to have to go back to levels you've played previously 
with newly acquired powers and moves to be able to collect absolutely uh, everything. Um, the game is known for its exceptional 2D graphics as well as its you know, really catchy and, and pretty smart uh, score um, by Rémy Gazelle. He's a, a French uh, gentleman. The entire project was uh, directed by Michel Ancel, who is also known for things like Beyond Good and Evil and a bunch of other games. Um, you know, the, the game actually reviewed really well across the board. All versions scored really highly. And if, if there's any criticism that can be pointed out, uh, pointed at the game, it would simply be that the game, a lot of folks report that this is a difficult game. It is a really tough platformer. I'm not sure that I personally agree with that, but I just want to maybe get the conversation started. I mean, I think it's difficult. I think that subsequent Rayman games, at least the 2D ones like Legend, is it Legends? I forget, uh, Origins. Yeah, that's the they, PC they, Origins. Yeah, that's the they, one on the 2012. They kind of right? toned down the difficulty. You know, made it easier for gamers of all skill levels to kind of get in. Um, but yeah, with the uh, with the original one, it was it was pretty. There were there were definitely parts of it that you'd have to keep going back and and doing mm-hmm. over. Um, but I mean, really, this was the game that put Ubisoft on the map. Just like Gex was the yeah. game that put Crystal Dynamics on the map. You know, this was like and. And they've continued to refine it. And then even when it made its way to 3D, they did an amazing job with it. And then they brought it back to 2D. And it's always been good. Like, I, I don't know of a, a bad Rayman game. It's just like an acquired taste. Like, you either really love Rayman or... I know a bad Rayman game. Which one is that? Raven Rabbits. Oh, but mm. yeah, see, the Rabbits is like... I, that's like another thing. I don't really... Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's, I guess that is Rayman, and of course, the Rabbids came out of Rayman, you know. But yeah, that's that's a whole other topic. <laughs> it is sad though how much how much it deviates to the point where oh yeah, they have a whole game with Mario in it. And it's like oh, I guess Rayman is like you know he's put to the sideline. He's the sideline of his own series, you know. Have any of you kind of sad? Have any of you had the opportunity to play the Jaguar version at any point? Uh, ben has. How would yes. you, so that this is interesting. Uh, so, cause a lot of people will say, you know, one version is definitive or one version is better. I know the Jaguar version is a little more trim down. It's just, well, it's the original, right? So there are some small differences, but how would you say it is from a difficulty aspect versus like the PlayStation uh, or Saturn? So uh, d- the, uh, the Jaguar version, when I was playing it, I remember that it was a really smooth playing game that it was mm. very well done for the system. Uh, the hardest part with the Jaguar version was the controller that you were using to play yeah. with. Uh, mm. So um, you had to get used to that while you were playing it. Now, the length of the game was pretty long, obviously, and uh, there were difficult sections. But the the difficulty in uh, when you were playing the Jaguar version, um, you know, you die, you try again, you die, you try again. It's kind of almost like a, a cuphead scenario where you're ex- expected to die and then Uh you just keep playing it over and over until you figure out the pattern and what you need to do jump on this character do that you know uh helicopter fist whatever it was and um and so as far as that goes like the jaguar version was really polished like um i i really liked it to be honest so how would you compare it to the saturn version have you played much of the saturn version yeah, so I did the Saturn, and I'm trying to remember the differences between the two. I feel like the color palettes were uh, definitely different. They were both colorful games, but they just kind of, uh, it just had a little bit of a different feel to it, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I'm trying to remember if the movement was different. I just cannot remember, though. Okay. Peter? Well, I was just going to, so I have not played the Jaguar version, but I have sort of read a lot of articles comparing all the the versions, 
And the biggest difference that's a strike against the Jaguar version is being a cartridge-based game, the sound is not CD quality like it is all right. on all the other versions. Mm-hmm. Right. And but other than that, like folks were quite praiseworthy of all the ports. Like they were all really close to each other. Was there not a Jag CD version? I don't believe so. No, I think okay. it's just cartridge only. Mm. So I know a version that probably none of you played, though. Which one is that? Have you played the uh, Super Nintendo version? So funny you should mention that because Rayman initially started development for the Super NES. That's right. Before it was scrapped and then it moved on to Jaguar. So was that eventually leaked? Like, is there a photo out there? Yeah, you can download now. Was it just supposed to be the the vanilla SNES or was it supposed to be the Nintendo PlayStation? Like it was the... supposed to be, it's supposed to be the regular the SNES. I pl- uh, oh, okay. But the thing is that it's really a rough demo. I think it's like less than less than a stage, and you just move back and forth. Mm-hmm. I think it's as, as much as they got before they started porting it. Subsequently, it's been ported to it's been ported to a lot of different systems. Subsequently, yeah, handheld. I think uh, wasn't there a DS version? There was a Game Boy Advance version, Game and Boy then Advance eventually version. a Nintendo DS version too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And which were all pretty good. You want me to get a little technical on you on the uh, Jaguar? Somebody asked if there was a Please. Jaguar CD version. Okay, okay, so the Jaguar, you know, had the was cartridge based, and so of course, cartridge based uh, read uh, the read access is a lot faster than the CD based, at least back in the day. Okay, right. So the Jaguar CD comes out. The Jaguar CD, I took it apart and looked at how it was built. The Jaguar CD was basically more allocation for memory as far as space for the game, so you get a lot of prettier graphics, audio stuff like that. But you're still having the old antique versions of read access for CD drive, so it's slower than the cartridge based, but you have more memory of space to store the information hmm probably wouldn't have benefited in any way yeah the only way i can see it benefiting is getting an audio boost uh, because you'd be able to do the more high fidelity stuff because you have more memory to be able to allocate specifically for that um and uh, but beyond that you probably would have to wait for it to load into the the buffer cache memory um for each stage which would have taken longer than doing it through the cartridge yeah that was that weird time where you had like cartridge and CD pairings, you know, like the ja- the Jag with the oh, and yeah. then the thirty two X thirty two X CD, where you'd have to use yeah. like the cartridge and the Sega CD at the same time. Well, only the rich kids would have that. They play like what one game for it, two games. Right. That. It was just a very strange time in gaming history. Yes, this was the time where you know folks were able to release anything and everything, even though they knew like six people would buy it. It would still get <laughs> greenlit, right? Right. So yeah, it was yeah, definitely. So you know, I've played Rayman on the PlayStation, and I've played Rayman on the Saturn. The Jaguar version I've not played, mm. and I have played the uh, like you know way later subsequent handheld versions of the first Rayman. I'll agree with you, Dave, that the entire franchise, not counting the sort of offshoot Rabbids stuff, is really great. With one exception, I was not a fan of Rayman Three Hoodlum Havoc. Oh, right. Hoodlum Havoc. I did not like that at all. And so interestingly, Michel Ancel uh, directed the first Rayman, as well as Rayman 2 The Great Escape, which is one of my favorite Dreamcast games. Amazing game. So good. And it was that that to me was a beautiful way of taking an excellent 2D game and transitioning it into 3D. It's great on the N64, too. It is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it is the... uh, 
the uh, N64's expansion cartridge, and it it's a really beautiful game on uh, N64 as well. So so yeah, but back to the uh, the and Michel Ancel was not involved in Rayman Three Hoodlum Havoc, and I think it, the game really kind of suffered as a result. But in terms of the original Rayman as a platforming game on the Saturn. I absolutely love it. To me, it's got the perfect difficulty level because it is never like you're right, Dave. You you know you die a lot. You you fail quite often, but I you never get the sense that that is because of broken controls or you mm. know like unfair deaths or anything like that. You right. know at the end of the day that you've got to have a really high precise skill uh, attuned to Rayman to be able to do well in the game. And to me, it. You know, and this was reinforced in I think the later 2D um, Rayman outings, such as Origin or Legends. There's almost like a parkour aspect to the game, where you're doing these like very precise, crazy leaps and jumps and ducks and tumbles, where one wrong move and you're kind of toast. And and I actually sort of enjoy that, because again, the control is very tight. It controls super well, and uh, you're able to pull off some pretty satisfying some satisfying maneuvers. I think that it's it is like you say the uh, I guess learning curve. What the game does is it keeps throwing new mechanics at you. Yeah. Like the, the the platforming mechanic is always consistent. What you're able to do, but you do get new powers, right? And it always throws new things at you very quickly. You're like going along and you think you have it, everything figured out, and oh, now the water's rising and you have this new thing that you need to do, jumping from platforms and trying to stay alive that way, and. Um, so the environmental aspect of, of it is constantly changing and requiring you to do new things like in the music level. Right. Yeah. And so, so that's the thing where I feel like you, it's constantly changing up to keep the game fresh, but it's also creating this constant challenge, you know, which means you do like Ben said, you die a lot and you just kind of have to start over. Um, so from that aspect, I think that it's, it's harder because games like, you know, simpler platforms like Super Mario Brothers are pretty straightforward. Like, you know, it doesn't change that much. You know, yeah, there's a water level, you know, but for the most part, it's th- this. But this game changes up a lot. And um, arguably, that's that's a good thing because it keeps the gameplay fresh throughout the mm-hmm. entire game. Do you know why he has no limbs? Oh, do tell. <laughs> so the developers originally intended for Rayman to have limbs, but they found out when they were uh, working the game onto the consoles uh, that it wouldn't run correctly with the limbs attached. So they tried a uh, development move by just removing the limbs while they were uh, doing some prototyping. And by removing the limbs, it fixed the problem. So they just uh, decided to, yeah, it's good without limbs. Interesting. Yeah, because that's definitely one of his memorable sort of characteristics. Any thoughts on the music? Because I love it. It's fully orchestrated, at least on the Saturn version anyways. And to me, it's super memorable. Like some of those tunes are super sort of, you know, mood setting, thematic. I think they're great. Yeah, music's great. Uh, Once I start hearing some Rayman tunes, I recognize it immediately. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's all stellar stuff, you know, like it's all very well done. Yeah, it's just that none of I can't. I don't consider any of the tunes to be incredibly memorable, you know, where I would be like humming them in my head, but it is definitely kind of like a vibe and it's, uh, it, it's, you know, great orchestral music that sets the tone for, for the levels. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, between the super brilliant, uh, vibrant visuals and the, um, orchestral CD soundtrack, you really do get a sense with this game that, you know, yes, it's a 2d platformer, but it is definitely something that would not have been, you know, possible to this degree on 
the old, you know, Mega Drive Genesis or the uh, Super NES. So, you know, I think this is a, it's a really good game. And I have to admit, I love the Metroidvania type aspects to it. I love getting new powers because to your point, Dave, throughout the game, first you get the ability to, to throw your fist, you know, then you get a running ability, then you get the ability to, you know, hang on these like uh, purple rings and you can kind of swing on them and whatever. So, you know, you end up going back because there is an overworld. So you end up trekking back to some of the levels that you haven't uh, explored fully because you couldn't. And, you you know, you end up collecting uh, everything uh, up to 100 percent throughout the game, which, you know, right. it, it kind of it. Yes, it makes the game a little bit longer, but it, it's done in a really good, solid way. Like, it's very enjoyable. And I, you know, for all those, and I, I do see this a lot on YouTube Let's Plays and other places where folks say, this game is brutally hard. I mean, it is difficult, but it's not unf- difficult in an unfair way or in any cheap or cheesy sort of way. So if, you know, if this is a gamer's game almost, right, where you have to kind of dedicate a little bit of time and you have to really focus on what you're doing and, and really be sort of into it to to progress, especially in the later levels. Um, but do you think the learning curve is fair? Because those first few levels are pretty easy, and then it just does kind of ramp up. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's unfair. I just think that it, you asked, is it hard? Yeah, well, it's not easy, <laughs> you know, and of yeah. course, it's old school, you know, and, you know, yeah. games arguably have gotten easier, you know, um, either for, for better or worse. I don't know. But when we were kids, we had plenty of time to throw at this stuff. These days, you know, as 40 year olds trying to do a quick let's play for, you know, content. Okay. It's like, okay, wow, this game is a lot harder than I remember, you know, and I can't get very far. Um, it's, you know, that's my problem <laughs> because when I was 15 and I would get home from school, I'd have, you know, several hours to throw at this stuff, you know, and, and, uh, you know, kind of like the first, uh, Panzer Dragoon, you know, that, that was incredibly hard as well, you know? And it's like, if you saw, it wanted to see it to the end, you know, you died a lot, you had to persevere, you had to memorize the course and, and, figure out what what the uh most uh efficient way to dispatch everything was you know to hang on to your life but yeah that again you know this is that's how old school games were you know so i can't fault it for that so here's a here's kind of a stupid question but do you feel like this game is kind of like really french (laughs) you know like it has in terms of like in terms of its vibe in terms of its artistic aesthetic and its overall vibe it is quite literally a French game, right? Ubisoft uh, developers, French, and it just has, okay, you know, like there's Japanese games, right? And there's Western games, you know, American mm-hmm, developed mm-hmm. games, you know? And then there's like an Ubisoft game, especially like Rayman, just has a very specific aesthetic and feel to it that to me is just like, it's a very French game. You know, there's this other series, what is it? Asterisk and Ob- Oblis. Yes. Uh, yeah. There are, there, are, there are a few of them, you know, where you're just like, this feels like a French game, you know, and that and that's not a bad thing. That's not uh, that that's in no way uh, a, a dig at, the, at it. It's just that that's what Rayman has always felt to me, you know, was that it was and I can't really put a I can't put a finger on what it is other than the fact that I know it's developed by a French company, but it has a, a flavor to it that's unlike any other that's unlike really any other 2d platformer you know you know so i i i've never thought of it quite the way you described it but i totally get where you're coming from to me what makes it french or even european for that matter or or gives it that vibe is first of all it is 
rich and refined while at the same time trying to be lighthearted. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to really ever find anything broken with the game. Right. Everything that you see in here is going to be exquisite or it'll aspire to that. And right. yet be and, and yet, you know, dancing on that refined and exquisite stage is a character who is lighthearted and, you know, full of joy and fun and all that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, so to, from that perspective, yeah, that that makes sense. I'd never mm-hmm. thought of it that way, but I, you know, I get it. Maybe it's the uh, surrealism, I guess, because, you know, French are really big into surrealist uh, surrealism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hope I'm I'm not trying to stereotype. I'm just saying like um, a lot of French art and stuff like that has uh, dabbled with surrealism. And and also like, um, you know, Knights was inspired by Mystere, right? The, mm-hmm. the Cirque du Soleil, which is also a French thing you know it's a french traveling circus you know and was Mm. uh, really this french flair of performance and art and um and style i think is apparent in raymond in the rayman series in a way that it is not in gex for example gex to me feels feels like a very western take on platforming you know Mm -hmm. and then mario to me feels like a very japanese take on platforming you know and rayman it's just very clear that this is a very french take on on 2d platforming and art and uh surrealism and just the visual aesthetic and the music and everything to me and and so that is a good thing it just i think it adds to the uniqueness of this series and why it endures you know is because it is enough of a unique flavor you know that makes sense and it's interesting i find just in general, as a general comment, maybe I find that the Saturn was a bit of a breeding ground for so many different ideas, cultures, flavors, you know, it was a really, it was not, it was definitely not homogeneous. Like we tend to think of gaming experiences now. And so you could really get all kind. I mean, you could get, go from, from Gex to Rayman to, to something like corpse killer to a, you know, a rally racing game. Like you just kind of, you know, had it all in it. Each each of those experiences really had almost like a distinct personality to them. More so maybe than I think we get nowadays. That triumvirate though, that uh, a stall, Gex and Rayman, all different, you know, unique at the same time. You know, they um, they all have beautiful two D hand drawn graphics, and yet they all have like a slightly different style to them because of the cultural background that they come from. I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not trying to go too deep, but it is something that just occurred to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's very fair. Okay, I want to just do a quick roundtable, final thoughts, and whether you recommend Rayman or not, and maybe we'll start at the top of the house with Ben. Yeah, so uh, there is a reason that Rayman has a lot of sequels and is still being published on newer consoles to this day. Uh, it is a very fair game. It is a very challenging game. Uh, it's got a good link to it, and you get everything from power-ups to uh, just a pretty game all the way around um i think it's it's proven that it is a very respectable game to give a try to if you haven't yet mm-hmm. okay uh pat um i think it's a pretty good game uh like i said if you haven't played it like me you might not you know it might be a bit difficult at first but i think it's really enjoyable i recommend definitely trying it if you haven't tried it before all right and then you dave yeah, I, I think that I, I understand where Pat's coming from. I don't think that it's for everyone. Um, I know other people who don't 
necessarily like Rayman. But me personally, I think that it's very well made, so much so that it was able to shine through the prejudice against 2D games at the time. You know, it was able to mm-hmm. get some good, uh, some good feedback and, and uh, critical acclaim and endure despite that. Um, yeah, I feel like it's very well made, arguably per- perhaps better, even more well made than Gex or Astal, you know, and that's saying something. I, I think that it, it is fair. It is kind of hard uh, uh, from a skill level, you know, and just having to endure with it if you're going back to it these days, but never unfair. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think folks should absolutely check it out. And um, it's a game that has it kind of commands a high price, I think, too, uh, if you're going for like a U.S. long box of it. Um, I don't know if that suggests that there weren't that many made or what, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's definitely one of those games that's like, a, what is it, a, like a $100 game or something? I don't know if it's reached that's that. That's definitely on the higher end, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So, you know, and just a couple of fun facts from me. It is... To my knowledge, the only third-party game in the U.S. library which had a demo disc put out for it. There were a million demo discs in uh, Japan. There were quite a lot in Europe as well, but there weren't very many in North America. And I believe that Rayman, the demo, is the only demo put out by a third party in North America. Third party, right. Yeah, okay. right. Okay, and so that's fun fact number one. Fun fact number two is on the PlayStation in the United Kingdom, Rayman is the best-selling PS1 game of all time, which blew wow. me away when I learned that. Like, you know, bigger than Tomb Raider 2, Gran Turismo, you name it. In the United Kingdom, the best-selling PS1 game of all time is Rayman, which was stunning and shocking. I had no idea, you know, so... But here we are. It is, at the end of the day, I think a really solid game and definitely uh, a Saturn experience that folks should, uh, you know, should dedicate some time to. I think you'd be, you're in for a, for a good treat. I would have thought it would have been a soccer game or something like that. No <laughs> kidding, no. hey? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Okay, cool. Yeah. Just wild, 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 wild. Okay. So typically, you know, when we have a thematic podcast like this, we like to dive into maybe an obscure uh, entry from the theme that we're working on. And today we're going to talk a little bit about a 2D platforming game called Tri-Rush Depi. It's a Japan-only release. It came out uh, in November of 1996. And the premise of the game is you're like an animated taxi, your little animated car, and you're, you're in a race across the United States. Now, there is no actual race per se. You're not racing in-game against other, you know, taxi cabs. But your goal is to make it from the beginning of the level all the way to the end of the level um, as quickly as possible. And the gimmick here is that you have like a, a gas meter that is continuously depleting. So it's continuously going down. If it goes down to zero, you run out of gas and you essentially die. Um, You've got like a dash mechanic that you can use and it's really handy when fighting against bosses and to sort of, you know, keep your gas levels up, you can find cans of gas throughout the levels and then that'll sort of replenish you a little bit and then you can, you can get going. 
if anything, this game is actually known for being one of the more expensive original Saturn games that you can get. If you want to get a copy, it's going to cost you several hundreds of dollars. Uh, you know, and I'm not sure if that's because you know it wasn't printed in the highest qualities, or if maybe Western gamers have really kind of taken a liking to it, and it's a supply demand issue. I'm not not entirely sure, but but yeah, try Rush Depi. Any of uh, any of you guys have uh, given this game a shot here? Oh yeah. I actually really like it. I just think it's a weird though. It's a, a weird game just because it's like you'd expect to be some sort of racing game, but like but it's not, it's not. right? It's it's yeah. a platform is like okay. It's unique. I like it in that aspect. You think oh, Trash Deppy and it's like no, it's a platformer game. And I'm ex- I'm I'm shocked how expensive it is though. Like it's not a cheap game, right? Mm-mm. So does anybody remember the name of the taxi cab and who framed Roger Rabbit? This is what this game reminds me of. It's like this is the tune version of the taxi cab and Roger Rabbit going around and this is his thing. I always got the name mixed up with Dynamite Heady. <laughs> yeah, Tri Rush oh, Deputy, sure. Dynamite yeah. Heady. But I mean yeah. that was a treasure game. And this is a what Nihon Create. Yeah. I you know, I think it's cute. I think it's really funny that he's a car and yet he walks on his rear tires instead of like mm-hmm. driving like a car. Um, but I mean that that's great. You know, it, it's so funny. It's like it's kind of off the wall. Um so it's this cute little taxi cab uh sprite, you know just kind of uh, tiptoeing on his rear wheels. <laughs> and uh, and then he does these dash moves that you say, like, it's not the, it is not the best platforming game, but it's certainly not bad at all. Like it's in the conversation with like stuff like Gex and stuff, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good, to me, it's like a good, uh, you know, B, B plus, you know, it's not, it doesn't reach perfection, but it is, it's a good fun game, you know, it's definitely unique. It is unique. Yeah. You know, there's, it's not, you're not going to find too many 2D platformers based on a taxi cab or whatever. And the visuals are really kind of nice. You know, the foreground is nice and crisp. The backgrounds are sort of more muted and pastel-like. Like, it just visually, right. it works really well. And I look, I get it. In today's day and age, there are ways of finding, you know, ROMs and images and whatever to play the game. Uh, but an original disc is insanely expensive. Kind of like another uh, 2D platformer that is extremely expensive. I'm talking about... Um, tempo, super tempo, oh, yeah. very, very expensive game, you know, another 2d platformer. Um, but yeah, it's definitely unique. It's, you know, not something that you would ever think to try, especially not from the title. And you're mm-hmm. right. It does kind of sound almost like a treasure game, you know, try rush Deppy. It just, I don't know. It's got that bit of a vibe, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's funny how they try to, you know, sexualize his love, his taxi cab love interest, or I don't know, he hasn't, there's like a car uh, and it's a girl, you know, it's just, it's always funny when they try to do that. Um, It's got a very pastel kind of, um, you say it'd be like Gex and Cars. I mean, it's got a very pastel color palette in the first opening level, which is like the city cityscape. It's, it's, it's pretty colorful and vibrant. I'm looking at what Pat's playing and now it's turned kind of dark and has almost like a Batman and Robin kind of color palette thing going on. I don't know. It, it's, it's an interesting game. I, I can't, I can't say much about it because it doesn't stand out among like a lot of the other big ones, but, and again, the price, to, you know, the price to acquire this might be part of the fact that a lot of folks haven't played yeah. it. And honestly, I mean, I just, honestly, I don't think it's worth it for the price, like three fifty for for this. I'm yeah, not uh, just don't recommend. Rarity, right? It's expensive. Easily though, fire it up on an ODE and and play it. And I think that it's a fun little experience. You know, 
what do you think, Peter? I mean, how, how much time have you spent with this game? You know, I haven't finished it, but I've got several levels in and it's a game that, you know, you're, you're balancing, you know, between going as fast as you can and finding everything in the level and of course, locating the cans of extra gas, because the worst is when you're fighting a boss and all of a sudden you run out of gas, especially if you're really close to having defeated that boss, right? So, you know, the gimmick is interesting. It can sometimes be a little bit frustrating, but I think overall it's a cool little game. You know, I wish more stuff like this had officially come out in the West instead of it being locked away in Japan and and folks being forced to import. So, you know, definitely a worthwhile game. You know, is it as good as, for example, Rayman or, or you know, Gex? Uh, to your, you know, just like with you, I think it's in the conversation. I don't think I'd put it higher than any of those games, but it's it's good. It's it's fun. I'd recommend folks give it a try for sure. Um, any last thoughts on dry on dry rush? Oh my dry god! Rush, dry rush. I mean, I think you had too much. You have too much gex on your mind. Oh god! <laughs> Going through a little dry rush spell. <laughs> the artwork is great. The yep. the in the manual on the cover, the hand drawing, and then the sprite work and everything like that. The artwork is definitely great, and I think that that's what it has going for it in spades. Uh, game mechanic, you know the ga- the gas tanks cool little clever you know replacement for like a life bar uh that can be replenished so it's got a cute clever little gameplay mechanic um pretty standard fair platforming and then really good artwork so yet um the price you know that's only the most dedicated are going to pick up a copy physically but i mean you know burn yourself a copy or try it on a ode i would definitely recommend it ben any last thoughts it's uh it definitely seems inspired by like the sonic the hedgehog series uh with the dashes and like the stars Mm -hmm. at the end of the levels and stuff like that um and so i can see where it gets a lot of its inspiration from uh and then it adds in some of the quirkiness like having the walking around taxi cab that kind of reminds me of uh ninja baseball batman if you guys know that one oh yeah yeah yeah. that's pretty (laughs) good and so um so yeah, it's it's quirky, but I, I don't think it's worth the price. I, I don't even know if I'd recommend people picking up the original copy unless they're just going for a complete Japanese set. Okay, and so that brings us towards the end of our cast. I think it was a good one. It was a good conversation. And I just, you know, I want to say that there were really many other 2D platformers on the Saturn, uh, including games like Sonic Jam, obviously, you know, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, another big one. Uh, Kyo Flying Squadron 2, uh, Psychic Assassin Teromaru, the Mega Man games, Earthworm Jim 2, Johnny Bazooka Tone. There were really quite a lot. There were also several bad examples, such as Mr. Bones. I did not write that line. How did that no, line get in there, to... Pat? I don't know. Are you sure you didn't write that? I don't remember. <laughs> I think I saw that earlier, so maybe you wrote that in. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I must have been in a daze. Well, wow, brilliant. Well done. Well played. Yeah. Well played. Yeah, I don't know. Let's, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like I said, technically it's a 2D platformer and you left it out. So I just want to... Thank you, Pat. Thank you so much. I actually would love to do a Castlevania cast one of these days. Just talk, talk about Symphony of the Night. Because I don't think we've ever really talked about it on the cast, per se, like a full mm-hmm. talk through, except for like a Halloween list. A full cast Castlevania? Oh, that's good, Dave. That is <laughs> it good. just smells like itself. Oh. <laughs> I like it. A pod Castlevania. I'm done. I'm down. <laughs> let's take a game like Gex or Rayman, which were as popular as you can get 
for the genre that they were, despite being, you know, an unpopular genre at the time, and compare those with the first Tomb Raider, which I know Peter is a huge fan of, right? You know, mm-hmm. but arguably, the first Tomb Raider on Saturn controls like absolute garbage compared to these games, which are like refined uh, to, you know, chef's kiss. Like these, these platforming, 2D platforming experiences are, it represent like the pinnacle of where the genre had gone. And yet all everybody wanted was stuff like Tomb Raider, you know, where you're literally having to like inch a little bit to the left. Oh, no, wait, go. Let's inch a little bit to the right. Okay. We got to, we got to, oh, we fell off. Let's get back on. Okay. Let's inch a little bit to the ledge and let's try to make this jump. Oops, we fell. Let's go back. And that's what people wanted because it was 3D, you know. (laughs) I think it's weird. It's like everyone's treat, like, I just hate how freaking Tomb Raider and the ratings was better than Gex essentially to people. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying it was bad. Like Tomb Raider was the birth of a new genre. Right. And it was the uh, it was it represented a huge technical leap. Right. Um, And I'm not saying it's not deserving of the praise that it got. But I think that it's just funny when you compare and contrast these two. You know, you have you have like a a genre that's been so refined uh, to the point of working, you know, getting most of the kinks worked out and just being a really, really good experience versus you know, what was actually popular at the time, which was a genre that was just very, very much still trying to find its own feet, you know? Yeah, I just think it's crazy that people, like, look at their reviewers like, oh, yeah, Tomb Raider is way better than Gex, and it's like, you mm-hmm. play both now, and it's like, wow, I don't know, what what were they smoking? I mean, 3D boobs. I guess, I don't know, I, whether it's 3D boobs and Gex, I don't know, There's, I don't know which one I would have went with, to be honest. Probably the Gex. I don't know. That's why rather... you had. That's why you had Gex and Laura Croft in the same, in the same oh, shot, right? God. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You can't have one without the other. Um, but to to sort of echo a little bit what you were saying earlier, Dave, I have this this like advertising pamphlet that Sega put out uh, for Christmas '95, and it was like this little buffet setup where. There's this chef and then there's this long, like all you can eat buffet table. And each section is for each console that they supported at the time with a bunch of games in there. So, so this was the time where there was Saturn and Genesis and 32 X, everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, a good deal of those games, I'd say probably about half of them are 2d games. Like I'm talking about games like Calibri for 32 X or whatever. So good or vector man for Genesis. So clearly 2d platforming games. And yet every single description for every single game mentions that they are in some way or other 3D. Every single one. When clearly half of these games are absolutely, there's nothing 3D about them. But it was such a strong buzzword. Like, you know, people craved and wanted and demanded 3D to such an extent that 2D games were being, in some cases, marketed as 3D, which is insane. Right. Because it's 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 in no way accurate or correct at all. But that I mean, those well, that's, were the that's times. at best. At worst, it's like United where it's like, yeah, we're not releasing two D games. Like I mean, that's re- really the reason why we didn't get a lot of two D games on the play. Well, I mean, a lot of them for the PlayStation that the RU four and Saturn. Yeah. It's like, oh no, two D. It's all three D or nothing. Right. It's like cool. So we have so many two D games and RPGs that are stuck in Japan because of that mentality. And now we're just getting a lot of these like the. Oh, uh, that what was the re- that um the remake of that game the um that Saturn game that just came out. Atelier oh, Marie. Atelier Marie. Yeah. Atelier Marie. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and like that's that's a consequence of that is that we're now we're getting all these games like un- unabashedly abridged and released, and it's just a sadness really that we couldn't they could come to their senses back then, and we're missing so much stuff that you know, there's no source code or the company's defunct, 
We can't get it anymore. Like if younger people are listening to this, because there are some younger Saturn fans, right? You know, if they're listening to this, I I want to know. I want you to know how much it cannot be understated the the type of blinders we had on to anything 2D back then. The mm. the type of blinders that would that would cause Sega of America to opt not to put the Mobius created, the Mobius hand-drawn artwork from the Japanese version of Panzer Dragoon and instead use this butt ugly, uh, you know, th- pre-rendered 3D, you know, dragon and everything like that on our cover of Panzer Dragoon. I mean, like arguably now I might like it ironically, like, okay, it's so ugly, it's good, you know, kind of thing. But I mean, it is butt ugly. You had a, this amazing hand-drawn artwork by Mobius, you know, who who inspired the entire series Panzer Dragoon with his Arzac, you know, uh, French comic Arzac, you know. And and again, you know, it's just one more example of them uh, not bringing over Japanese artwork from from the Japanese box arts just because, oh, it won't sell as well. Americans are just they've got the 3D glasses on and everything has to be 3D or they won't even give it the time of day, you know. You know what would have been the biggest misconception if they did that is police knots because on the cover for the U.S. remember it was that 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 the 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 robot walker on the moon and 3D. Yes. Uh huh. Imagine that dropped. And like, what is this 2D BS? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you had you and 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 I think you you said this well in the magazine, Peter, in the in the introduction letter, is that at that time the Saturn really w- had all of these just fantastic 2D experiences that represented how far the, the the genre had come, like how far 2D gaming had really come to the point. And, and the Saturn was a piece of hardware that was built around showcasing that. Mm-hmm. And yet it just came in this awkward period of time where gamers were, were really prejudiced towards 2D gaming and really just wanted the future, you know, which would, I mean, today I, I would say, what would the equivalent be? Maybe VR, but it wasn't even to that extent. You know, not everybody cares about VR these days, but I, everybody cared about just how much more polygons a, a machine could push or how much better textures it was. You know, it was, it was crazy. Everything. It was really crazy. And it was terrible, terrible that, that games were reviewed simply by the merit of whether or not they were 2D or 3D, you know? Yeah, and that's the reason why, like I was saying before, there's so many low ratings for 2D games and all this stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, l- like you play these games now, like these games are like two, three out of fives. Like this game is fantastic. How could people say that this is, this was a two or three out of five game? This is, you know, a five out of five. There were a couple publications that knew what was up, you know, uh, Game Fan, those guys. They all imported games. They loved Marvel versus Capcom. They loved all of the all of the Capcom fighting games and stuff, and and games like Radiant Silver Gun and stuff. You know, and and also OSSM. You know, to a degree, I would say official Sega Saturn magazine. A lot of those guys knew what was up, and they would sometimes they made mistakes, but I would say for the most part, they would give two D games a fair shake. You know, sometimes it, they still fell subject to you know, oh, it's two D, but for the most part, you know, they would import games, so they knew how to appreciate a 2d game you know even back then yeah oh yeah i mean castlevania symphony of the night when it came out on playstation did not sell well in north america that's crazy that's crazy and it's one of the best best games of that generation right so it's beautiful what it is those were the times 
I'm glad my dad bought that game when he did. Like he 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 bought it and brought it home and he was like, This is special. Like, look at the graphics, look at the music. Like, mm-hmm. you just don't get very many 2D games that are able to impress so much like that. And it did combine some 3D graphics, right? It did. It had, yep, yep, yep. But it yeah, has the lo- 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 even the save thing, I think, is a 3D object. That's right, safe. right. Yeah. Sphere. Right. But I mean, it was just truly a special game. You knew it back then. You knew that this was like the exception, not the rule, you know, mm-hmm. when it came to games like that were so lovingly crafted like that one, you know? Yeah, no, and I'm lucky I got like even when I did, like I paid like sixty bucks for it and it jumped like immediately to one hundred and twenty. And it's like, dang, like like it's it's just a game that honestly it's probably one of the best games like I I mean, I must have beat that game like three or four times already. It's just that good. So for Saturn fans, Saturn fans these days, they know that it's like you're you're getting the pinnacle of two D and all the stuff that we love that's three D, we're kind of accepting it uh understanding that it was just uh you know it was, it was still nascent. getting its running legs right you know it was just very nascent yeah. exactly great and, and great don't get us wrong we love the we love 3d games as well like i mean i mean pen's dragoon is some of the best all those games are some of the best games ever released like there's some yeah. really good 3d games but like to, to us like it's just like i think we're more salty that it just didn't get the fair shake that it deserved the 2d games i just marvel at the fact that Saturn is creating all of its 3D using sprites <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, mm-hmm. uh, warping sprites. And I mean, that doesn't make me think poorly of the machine. That makes me think even better of the machine because I'm like, this thing is just such an impressive machine when it comes to its ability to move 2D sprites around, you know. So as we come to the end of the cast, just, you know, want to give a shout out to all of our patrons. I'll start with our VIP patrons, A Murder of Crows, Blue Moon 95, Emerald Nova, Ioannis Fetz, and Nate Lawrence. And also our All Axis patrons, Cerulean, Chris1997XX, Derek Pascarella, Fat Drunk Friend Otaku, uh, Gen Clasher Rank, Ian Keg, Justin, uh, Mamdu Madwar, Normal Guy, Nutrageous, Robert Ramsey, Rowan Dinch, Sega Steve, Stone Man, Tanuki Trev, Theron Brown, and Young Money Sway. And again, you know, just a massive thanks, you guys. It is because of your support that we're able to continue to do what we do. Um, you know, we wouldn't be able to produce all of this content if it wasn't for, uh, for what you guys are doing to support us. So just a massive, massive thank you from all of us. <laughs> 2D platformers during the 32-bit generation were sort of like the, the ugly stepchild, right? They were there. And they were maybe at the peak of, you know, what they were because you had the 32-bit machine's power and the expanded color palette and you're able to suddenly put in amazing music and games could be longer and, you know, more settings, more modes, etc. But they were ignored because everybody wanted 3D. You know, everybody wanted the latest fighting game, the latest 3D platformer. And it wasn't until 
I feel much, much later, much after the 32-bit slash 64-bit sort of generation came and went, it wasn't until then that these games really started being appreciated for what they are. And that could be why copies of games like Rayman now are relatively expensive, you know? The, none of the games on this list, with the exception of maybe Clockwork Knight, uh, are, are really all that cheap. They, they were on the pricier side for sure. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, the Saturn was a 2D machine. It was built for this kind of stuff. And I think that the games that we did get were really, really well done. All right. That brings us to the end of the cast. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to us talk about Astal and Clockwork Knight and Gex and Rayman. Um, and, you know, a whole bunch of other uh, 2D Saturn platformers, as well as Tri-Rush Depi. It was a fun time. We thank you, everybody, for listening. And, uh, you know, as we head out, we just want each and every one of you to remember, you must play Sega Saturn. So long, folks. See ya. Later. Bye. I'm just going to, for the outtakes this episode, I just feel like I need to give a little bit of context here. So initially, Nick was supposed to uh, be recording with us as well, but due to some last-minute scheduling, that just wasn't able to happen. Uh, But we did ultimately record uh, a cheesy intro for him too, so we're going to play that for you now, because it would just be such a shame for that to be lost, uh, you know, to the annals of time. So yeah, so enjoy this uh, unused intro for Nick. Next, hailing from a long-forgotten branch of the animal kingdom. He is part man, part beast, and all panda all the time. We've got Nick, so welcome, Nick. (laughs) This podcast is a Shiro Media Group production.